of the Bible. From America's colonial period to her rise to become the richest, most powerful nation in history, the ideas and values that guide us, protect us, and hold our society together flow from the pages of this book of books. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Our founding documents affirm and build on the scriptural concepts of God-given, not state-granted rights, and of liberty under law. The biblical worldview shaped our work ethic, made education a priority, and birthed the notion of finite, limited government under divine authority. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The Pilgrims, the Puritans, the Founding Fathers, and American leaders throughout our history have emphasized the Bible's importance to America. The first and almost the only book worthy of universal attention is the Bible. John Quincy Adams. But for the book, we cannot know right from wrong. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. Abraham Lincoln. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Calvin Coolidge. The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible. A 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. Yes, indeed. Here we are thanking you for joining us and this annual journey through the Scriptures. We are into and up to now the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We started in November, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then for the Christmas season and New Year's, we went to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, finished that book, and now we've come back. As we start the new year, we are reading the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. The book of Numbers in particular is a book of evaluation. It's a book of taking stock. As the people of Israel are camped at the base of Mount Sinai, they too are beginning now to take stock of where they are, what resources they have. The book itself gets its name, Numbers, because there are two national census that are taken by Moses and the people of Israel, principally to count the number of men 20 years old and older of fighting age, a military age, as they contemplate now and as they make their plans to go north from Mount Sinai up to the land of Canaan, the promised land. They've come out of Egypt after 400 years in bondage. They have been camped about 15 months at the base of Mount Sinai, and they're ready now to go north to Canaan and enter into the promised land. So under the Lord's direction, they take a census to count how many men of fighting age are in the nation. And, of course, they do some other things, organizing themselves when they're camping, when they're moving. The tabernacle, as you recall, is at the center of the nation. They're in the middle of these two million people, signifying the very presence of God in their midst. We'll get to that in just a moment, reading from Numbers chapter 11. But first, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment. In times of stress, depending upon God requires complete commitment. This is a Psalm of David, although some say it might have been written by Jeremiah. Our Wisdom and Worship segment on the Bible Life. Psalm 31, verses 9 through 16. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. My sight is blurred because of my tears. My body and soul are withering away. 
I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Misery has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I am scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they turn the other way. I have been ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I have heard the many rumors about me, and I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, save me. End of reading, Psalm 31, verses 9 through 16. Help me see that everything I am is not all about me. is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Very interesting little song there, a very interesting tune and a very interesting idea. Make me aware, Lord, that everything is not all about me. <laughs> all about me and mine and my interest and what I want and what I desire. just had lunch today with a couple of young men that I'm discipling and encouraging in their spiritual growth. And uh, one of the things we talked about is how unbelievably self-absorbed we are as human beings. That is the essence of what is called original sin or the fall of man or the sin nature The Bible teaches every human being on planet Earth. We have inherited from the beginning, from Adam and Eve and our ancestors, this irrevocable, irresistible tendency to be selfish. Looking out for number one, me, myself, and I, and mine. This is our dilemma as human beings. Even since we have a self-preservation, kind of an animal instinct almost, of self-preservation, and it could be a positive thing. It makes us want to love life and to stay alive and hold on to life. But at the same time, there's this absorption about ourselves. And as we understand, Jesus said we are to give our lives away. We have died to ourselves. That's why following Christ is not a piece of cake. It's not easy because we are denying ourselves, our own interests, our own opinions, our own thoughts, and our own desires. We deny them to live for God and live for others. That is an incredible challenge. And, of course, that song talking about help me to be aware that it's about you. Life isn't about me, Lord. It's about you and honoring you and serving you. The irony of it or or the paradox of the situation is that when we do deny ourselves and die to ourselves, that's when we really start living. And that's when we really start experiencing the joy and the delight and the thrill of life, the abundant life that God has for us. It takes discipline and walking with the Lord to become aware all the time, every minute of every day, that we belong to Him. Well, the people of Israel have this same challenge now. They are camped there at the base of Mount Sinai. They made preparations in every way, spiritual preparations, military preparations. Organizationally, they prepared themselves. There's training going on, and they have begun to move now north for their first approach to the Promised Land. And the people begin to complain against Moses complaining, griping, murmuring against their leaders. This is all too common to us as believers, to our shame. It happens all too much to us as individuals today as well. But the people begin to complain against Moses, even as they're moving up now to take this step of faith 
to go into the promised land, the land that God had promised them for hundreds of years. He's been so faithful to them. He's done incredible miracles in their very presence. And so now they're going to go up to take their first approach to entering into the promised land. Will they go in? Will they be victorious? From the book of Numbers, the Bible life. Numbers 11, 1 through 14, 25. Numbers 11. The people soon began to complain to the Lord about their hardships. And when the Lord heard them, his anger blazed against them. Fire from the Lord raged among them and destroyed the outskirts of the camp. The people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabera, the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember all the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone, and day after day we have nothing to eat but this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, pale yellow in color. The people gathered it from the ground and made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like they had been cooked in olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard all the family standing in front of their tents weeping, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated, and Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so miserably? What did I do to deserve the burden of a people like this? Are they my children? Am I their father? Is that why you have told me to carry them in my arms like a nurse carries a baby to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep complaining and saying, give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. I'd rather you killed me than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Summon before me seventy of the leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. And tell the people to purify themselves, for tomorrow they will have meat to eat. Tell them, the Lord has heard your whining and complaints. If only we had meat to eat, surely we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two, or for five or ten or even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month, until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord, who is here among you, and you have complained to him, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, There are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, and yet you promised them meat for a whole month? Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, Is there any limit to my power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. Then he gathered the seventy leaders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. He took some of the spirit that was upon Moses and put it upon the seventy leaders. They prophesied as the spirit rested upon them. But that was the only time this happened. Two men, Eldad and Meldad, were still in the camp when the spirit rested upon them. They were listed among the leaders but had not gone out to the tabernacle. So they prophesied there in the camp. 
A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' personal assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Then Moses returned to the camp with the leaders of Israel. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea, and let them fall into the camp and all around it. For many miles in every direction from the camp there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than fifty bushels. They spread the quail out all over the camp. But while they were still eating the meat, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he caused a severe plague to break out among them. So that place was called Kibroth Hatava, the Graves of Craving because they buried the people there who had craved meat from Egypt. From there the Israelites traveled to Hazaroth, where they stayed for some time. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 12 While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. And the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to me. Even with prophets, I, the Lord, communicate by visions and dreams. But that is not how I communicate with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with my entire house. I speak to him face to face directly and not in riddles he sees the lord as he is should you not be afraid to criticize him the lord was furious with them and he departed as the cloud moved from above the tabernacle miriam suddenly became white as snow with leprosy when aaron saw what had happened he cried out to moses oh my lord please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth so Moses cried out to the Lord, Heal her, O God, I beg you. And the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, wouldn't she have been defiled for seven days? Banish her from the camp for seven days, and after that she may return. So Miriam was excluded from the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hasseroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 13. The Lord now said to Moses, Send men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to Israel. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of the leaders. From the tribe of Reuben, the leader was Shamua, son of Zakur. The tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. The tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. From Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. From Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. From Manasseh, son of Joseph. Gadi, son of Susi. From Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From Asher, Sethur, son of Michael. From Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vofsi. And from Gad, Guel, son of Maki. 
These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. By this time, Moses had changed Hosea's name to Joshua. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go northward through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Enter the land boldly and bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. Going northward, they passed first through the Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to what is now known as the Valley of Eshkol, they cut down a cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also took samples of the pomegranates and figs. At that time, the Israelites renamed the valley Eshkol Cluster because of the cluster of grapes they had cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the people of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land you sent us to see, and it is indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is some of its fruit as proof. But the people living there are powerful, and their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We also saw the descendants of Anak who are living there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to encourage the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him answered, We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites. The land we explored will swallow up any who go to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them. And that's what we looked like to them. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 14. Then all the people began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of complaint against Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they wailed. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as slaves. Let's get out of here and return to Egypt. Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the people of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to the community of Israel, The land we explored is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites from above the tabernacle. 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a nation far greater and mightier than they are. But what will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? Moses pleaded with the Lord. They know full well the power you displayed in rescuing these people from Egypt. They will tell this to the inhabitants of this land, who are well aware that you are with this people. They know, Lord, that you have appeared in full view of your people in the pillar of cloud that hovers over them. They know that you go before them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now if you slaughter all these people, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, The Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them, so he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed it to be. For you said, The Lord is slow to anger and rich in unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, he does not leave sin unpunished, but he punishes the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. Please, pardon the sins of this people because of your magnificent, unfailing love, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as surely as I live, and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they tested me by refusing to listen. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will enter it. But my servant Caleb is different from the others. He has remained loyal to me, and I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will receive their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. End of reading numbers 11, 1 through 14, 25. No doubt it'll be all right. With God it will all work together for good. No doubt this is the Bible live. Thou shalt not go away. We see this climactic moment. Everything they have done up to this point, every lesson that God has given them, every command has all been building them up toward this moment, the moment they had been waiting for ever since leaving Egypt, 400 years of slavery in bondage to other people. God had rescued them and brought them out of Egypt, set them free as a people, teaching them to walk and live as a free people, a nation of free men and women and now delivering this land that had been promised to them, to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Will they believe God? Will they come out of Egypt and move into the promised land? Well, as you see, the answer is no. They failed. They were not willing to take that step. Here at this place called Kadesh, Kadesh or Kadesh, it's an oasis. It's a beautiful place. A crossroads there at the southern tip of the promised land of Israel, it becomes a crossroads in Israel's history as well. When the scouts returned to Kadesh from scouting the new land, the people had to decide either to enter the land or to retreat. And they chose to retreat. And because of that, they're condemned now as a people to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until all of the adult of that generation had died away. 
It's also at Kadesh or Kadesh that Moses disobeys God. Later we'll read about that in chapter 20. For this, he too was denied entrance into the promised land. Aaron and Miriam die here at Kadesh. They could not enter the promised land either. This little camping place at the southern end of Israel is a crossroads, not only geographically, but spiritually for the nation of Israel. All that God had done for them, not only delivering them from Egypt, but providing for them so richly and so abundantly, here they start complaining about food, wanting to go back to slavery. They would choose to live in slavery back in Egypt instead of to live as free men and women with their own destiny in their own hands. That's a huge lesson for us today. We have a legacy and a heritage of freedom in this great land of America, a legacy and a heritage of freedom that came out of the faith of our founding fathers in the true and living God, the God of the Bible. And yet even today we have people willing to give up more and more freedom so they can get bread from the government or get bread from someone else for security and safety. We see the principle at work here, the same principle. God has given us freedom to live as free men and women. Of course there is risk, but there's a risk in all of life. Working as good men and free men, God promises to prosper and protect and guide us, and we can count on that. That's what has made this nation so great, and yet here we are as a nation turning away from that heritage of freedom, turning back to reliance upon government or reliance upon others instead of trusting in God. God said, has my arm lost its power? God is capable. Nothing is impossible with God. Will we believe him? Will we trust in him instead of giving away our freedom, trusting in politics or politicians or trusting in our military? Let us trust in God. Let's take our freedom. Let's live for God, live unselfishly, giving ourselves away to Jesus first, others second to ourselves last. Remember, that's the way you spell the word joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Even way back then, these hundreds and thousands of years ago, that was the challenge to live for God and trust God. Well, there you have it, that momentous moment. You know, sometimes we don't know when a life-changing moment comes our way. Now, this was a very dramatic, clear moment of decision, and the people of Israel made a decision. Maybe they didn't know the full implications. They probably didn't realize that this was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go in and obey God. They didn't know then, as a result of a bad decision here, they were going to be required to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Not all of life's momentous decisions come clearly packaged. Sometimes we make a decision to disobey or not trust God, and we reap the consequences later without realizing it. with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible.
Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 